I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. And I'm Mark Taylor. And you're listening to the Isolation Series on Political R&D. So today's episode is called Perfect Imperfection. Uh, we're going to look at we're going to look at some of the uh, public health information that we're getting. We're going to talk about some of the things that media has been demanding, and we're going to talk about some headlines. Yeah, I think it's a really good time to start looking at this. We we've been in the 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 lockdown, the self isolation, however you want to define it, varying degrees in varying countries, um, and yet we seem to be wanting to play by old set of rules. And and I think things have changed quite a bit on how governments react and how media reacts and how people react. And so I think it's been a pretty awesome deep dive at this point. Yeah, and so we had, I mean. Over the last couple of days, some big news has come out of the UK. Boris Johnson was admitted to hospital, and Boris Johnson, of course, is the prime minister in the UK. And he was admitted to hospital yesterday. He did test positive for COVID-19 at some point earlier this week. Uh, but today he was admitted to ICU. So he's very ill. Um, that's obviously not something we're going to spend too much time discussing because neither of us are medical professionals. However, the problem is that Boris was one of the individuals who was consistently saying things like, uh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to make any changes while this virus is out there. Yeah, he was still adamant, even though we were now at a stage of social distancing, that he was going to continue shaking hands. And and I get it from a um, from that grassroots politician, from that even somewhat you know populist trying to connect with with the masses. That handshake's important. Um, it's it really is a connector. Um, I remember reading an article ages ago about how Bill Clinton almost had it down to an art form. That when he shook your hand, he grabbed your elbow at the same time, just to give you that sense of closeness. Mm-hmm. And and pre January of this year, that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. And that's that's really what the issue was: is that uh, the public health officials, even while Boris Johnson was saying that, uh, you know, there's a clip of a press conference with Donald Trump and uh, Pence. Oh, my God. What's his first name? Mike. Ah, okay. Uh, With Donald Trump and Mike Pence, and both of them were saying, we're still going to keep shaking hands. That's what we do. We're politicians. You know, that's how we welcome people, things like that. So this, it, it was a big deal at the time for both of them, or all three of them, I guess, uh, for for both leaders of two separate countries to be saying we're not going to listen to these to this health advice because we do things differently we're well, we're different I, I think the 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 bigger issue i have is, is that 
we we've got health officials who, you know, had we doc stood up Dr. Dina Henshaw at a mic in December and had her say anything, nobody would have paid attention. Right. Had we done the same thing with Dr. Uh, Teresa Tam, nobody would know who these people are or why we should care. Now all of a sudden they're on the news every day and we're wanting people to pay attention. And when we have officials not taking the advice seriously, it makes it very difficult to convey that to the general public because many of them, especially in um, the United States, uh, I don't know the UK population as well, but yeah. with the UK or the US base, there are people who look at Trump and say, well, if Trump isn't doing this, then neither am I. Right. And, and that's, that's a natural reaction to people that we look to uh, for information and for advice. Right. That's that's exactly what a role model does. I and, mean, they and, and maybe it started here in Canada. And that's why we saw the difference is that right off the bat, we had a prime minister who had to sequester himself due to uh, his wife having covid. And so now he's in the same isolation. He's now, you know, got pictures of him working from a home office. We have now changed the reporting. Like he comes to a podium. Nobody is allowed within six feet, if not more, of that podium. All these things have changed. And so when we see Justin Trudeau modeling what we expect other people to do, it's easier to convey that through Canadians. But when we see in the United States Donald Trump at a podium and everybody crowded around him. Mm, yeah. And Still. then we say, stand six feet apart from each other. It's like, You've only got room for three people on that stage, and yet you have 20. So, and they're all touching the same podium, and they're doing all the things and shaking hands. And it's like, this this isn't conveying the message on a subliminal level that we're we're wanting on that on the perfor- on that on the main level. So, mm-hmm. and if you even think of, uh, do you remember when Jason Kenney and Tyler Shandro, both of them did, and it was within a couple of days of each other. So Shandro did a couple of photo ops of him going to hospitals and shaking, you know, like the the healthcare workers were all done up in their gowns and their face masks and gloves. And Shandro's in there without gloves and he's shaking people's hands. And it's like, dude, this is not the time to be getting photo ops in hospitals. And Kenny went to a... Um, Almost shoulder. Yes, a homeless shelter. Handing out sandwiches, so. Yeah, and like, yes, he had the gloves on and he had the face mask, but at the same time, again, this is not, this is not what we're trying to tell people to do. Yet, in their press conferences, and this may have been afterwards, I'm a little shaky on dates, as we've discussed many times, um, at the press conferences, like, I remember he looked, he looked behind him at one point and he was like, why, why are you guys standing so far apart but that's not what he said actually what he said was a total double entendre oh i wish i could remember what that was but anyways um so that was his question he's like oh right because we're supposed to be six feet away from each other so even you know so at that i think it was after but that's not what we're seeing from all leaders and this is problematic exactly like you said because the message that they're trying to convey is that this is important. It's important that we all do this. And if you have somebody going on TV every day who's surrounded by people 
then it kind of looks like, well, maybe it's not so bad if we are surrounded by people anyway. Well, and and this is where we're running into some of the problems with community uh, transference and transmission now, is that if the Don can go and stand on a stage with 15 people, why can't I have 15 people over for a barbecue? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a an issue with, with information that's coming out, but you know, what, what actually goes right with that is Teresa Tam came out, uh, the article came out today that, that she was now saying that we should wear masks. That's not exactly what the article said, but it looks to many like, okay, now, now she's backtracking on, on the no mask thing that masks won't help uh she's not backtracking she's still saying that that a mask on a healthy person will probably not help to keep you from getting the virus because it's so much more than just masks it's it's still social distancing it's still not touching your face it's still um those things but and she has said this before that if you are ill and you're wearing a mask, that would actually be a good thing. Because if you cough, it could stop water droplets from going out into, you know, the public space. So that actually didn't change. But the article made it sound like major things had changed in her messaging. Um, but there was something else with that as well that you had brought up. Yeah. Um, so there's an editorial in the Globe and Mail last week where th- there was... It was starting the railing against um, Dr. Tam, which I don't even know why our medical officials have an official opposition in the media. <laughs> this isn't the time. That's to not be the critiquing. role. That's not the time to be critiquing what they're saying. And so, like, this editorial came out, and it's like there were there was a couple of links to articles that were justifying why we should be on masks as early as last week. And so I, with my background, I I have a tendency to click on the references that you put forward because I want to see what you're referring to. And so um, in this editorial, I mean, one of the one of the um, one of the articles was referenced was written by epidemiologists. So smart in their field, writing a scientific article but it got into when you've really actually read, like it started with the general public should be wearing masks. And then they started diving into it. And when you start seeing, it's like they're testing for um, one, uh, the healthy or, or good masks was like the, the N95s or whatever, um, was like 28 people and 11 kids. And then they were using homemade ones, but they only had 22 people they tested. And then you get further into it and they weren't actually testing coughing or sneezing. And so they came back and it said, bear, bear in mind, this is an, and this is like from the actual study, bear in mind that this is an experimental study with a relatively small number of volunteers, which limits the general generalizability of some of our findings. So example, for That's a mass big to have an, yeah, for example, our masks to have any impact during an actual academic or a pan, sorry, an actual pandemic. So like they, they've stated right at the end, it's like, this is our field. This is what we're doing. And by the way, don't use this as evidence to apply to a pandemic because it's too small of a sample size and we didn't do enough testing. And then then the other one that they had in there was like, 
the quote was disease control experts in China, South Korea and China to say wear a mask, wearing a mask is essential and then refers to an article on Science Magazine. Okay, great. Science Magazine, generally peer-reviewed. But this wasn't a peer-reviewed article. This was an interview with one guy out of China who still went on, like, the top five things we should be doing is social distancing, isolation of cases, quarantine close contacts, suspend public gatherings, and restrict movement of people. That was the top five things they said they could learn. And then the next question is, well, what mistakes are other places making? Oh, they're not wearing masks. It, it wasn't even in the top five. <laughs> and it's one guy's educated opinion. It's one of the scientists from the Chinese, yeah. the disease control. But it's, it's one person's analysis of the data. And, and here we have Dr. Teresa Tam doing her analysis of the data and trying to tell people what's best. And then we have Karen from Facebook going, I disagree because something happened in another country and therefore that's absolutely correct. It's like you can't look at what happened in Taiwan and say, oh, if we had done that in Canada, we'd be better off. Canada doesn't run its government the same way as Taiwan. Yeah. Now, if you want to compare countries, go compare what's happening in Iceland. But of course, now you're going to sit there and go, well, Iceland doesn't have the population that Canada does. It's not as geographically diverse. There's different problems. Absolutely. So it's coming down to we had 195 countries. There's going to be 195 solutions and 195 different ways this got handled. Yeah. And and exactly that. I mean, like we should we should actually be looking at it from that provincial point of view, especially in Alberta, where we consistently say that we're so different than everybody else. Well, so then understand that what works in Ontario might not work perfectly here what works in Nova Scotia might not perfectly work here. At the same time, like I said, she, you know, Dr. Tam did not walk that back at all. What she said, especially, and this, this part was, this part was interesting, was that uh, it could help people who have yet to show symptoms, but are carrier are, are carrying the virus. It can help stop them from uh, transmitting that virus. So to me, that was, that was probably the best take that I got out of it was, uh, because originally when I, when I saw it, I thought, you know, after all of the media push and, uh, you know, backlash that has been coming about the whole mask thing, I honestly looked at it and thought, uh, before I read the article. So just looking at the headline, I thought, what are the odds that they went, you know what, it's not going to hurt. It really won't help, but it's not going to hurt anything. So fine, wear masks. Fine, just do well, it. <laughs> if, if it makes you feel better, then go ahead. But I mean, yeah. the, the other thing that they're not circulating with the, okay, go ahead and wear masks is how do you properly put them on? How do you yeah. properly take them off? What other things do you need to take into account? Like, like the whole thing. How do thing you sanitize? Is, yeah. Like, like, like if we have a mask on and it's hypothetically infected from the outside, but not the inside, which is what you think you're doing, because it's even though everybody says it's the other way around. Um, if if you have an infected mask from the outside, what are you touching it with and where are you what are you doing with it after you've been outside? Did you throw it in the garbage can before you went into the house or did you wear it in, wear it around the house, drop all those droplets everywhere, then throw it in the washing machine for like like. The, there's all these things, all these steps that are being missed. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, if you're doing it as a security blanket, go ahead, Linus. It makes you feel better. But, yeah. and it's a peanuts reference for those who don't get that. <laughs> um, but beyond that, there's like, you know, how's a better way? Stay at home. That's what they've been telling people. Stay at home. Go for a walk. Don't go near people. But otherwise, stay at home. Go to the grocery store once a week. Stay home. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that that Tam did reference in the article, if you if you read it, read past the headline always. Um, what she referenced were two studies that have come out saying, OK, masks can be useful in these circumstances. Therefore, that's why she's now saying, fine, wear masks. So it wasn't it wasn't a sudden uh, about face because necessarily because of the pushback that they're receiving. It was because, you know, scientific data has become available. We're going to take that into consideration. And now we are changing our minds or not our minds, but our messaging. And, you know, and it's not even changing, as you said, it's just enhancing what we said from yesterday. Now, if you're going to look back and say, well, two weeks ago, you said no masks. And today you're saying masks, you flip flop. This isn't politics. This is science. Things constantly evolve. And. And I've, I've had this conversation, I don't know how many times with friends, usually over many pints, is that <laughs> the, the definitions that are used in the scientific world, um, we have the same terms in the political world and in the general public, but they don't have the same quantification to them. So like when we talk about a theory in, in, in science, that there, there's some set criteria that for something to go from a hypothesis to a theory. But you, you have a politician walk around going, I got a theory. It's like, what popped into your head today? <laughs> two, and that's two different criteria. So, so we have a media who's very used to somebody wandering around going, I've got a theory. Oh, you've flipped your <laughs> flip-flopped on the theory. It's like, no, as a scientist, <laughs> I had this pool of data and now I have a bigger pool of data. And so yeah. now I'm doing I'm doing a reassessment based on the entire pool, not just this one little drop that went in. Yes, and that is, you know, that's also something that, of course, we need to try as much as humanly possible to get people to understand is that, and this is something that our health officials have been saying since day one, this is a rapidly evolving situation. This is not a situation that we have dealt with, at least in my lifetime, actually uh, in my grandmother's lifetime either. When I brought up the Spanish flu thing, she's like, oh, I don't remember that. And I said, well, that was 1918. She said, oh, maybe that's why. Uh, but, <laughs> but the point is that this is new. This is very new. This is a, this is a very dangerous virus, can be a very dangerous virus. And the problems that come from it are can be immense we can look at italy and spain and say we don't want that to happen but do we know exactly how to deal with it in the meantime um like you had mentioned the the countries where this um where they've had more success with things like social isolation uh my daughter asked me the same thing you know why didn't they just shut everything down in january or in February. <clears throat> and I was like, well, because, you know, we're very, we're very independent minded in our Western democracies. 
we are used to having a lot of freedoms and because of that it's very difficult for them to suddenly shut everything down and say you stay at home we're not used to uh, we're not used to obeying those types of commands and we are not used to having them thrust upon us so that was something that came up with Japan uh, one of the reasons why Japan and Taiwan uh, those areas seemed to be able to flatten their curve faster is because when the government gave that direction, when the health officials gave the direction to social isolate, people didn't ask questions. People didn't say, well, is this really important? Is this really a thing? No, they just did it because um, adherence to government, uh, I don't even want to say messaging, but to uh, government recommendations, health recommendations, they're just more likely to follow them in those in those countries. Well, so here the recommendations over there that's direction. That's true. Yeah, that's so true there's, as well. <laughs> there's there's a whole different like yeah. we we've got a chunk of the population that doesn't trust the government on a good day. That's right. Yes. That and doesn't believe in the science of vaccinations, doesn't believe in a lot of things. We've got that um on on good days. We're not in good days right now. Mm-hmm. So and I mean, when you said, you know, we haven't dealt with this before, we as, say, let's let's go the Western civilization, because this isn't the first um, pandemic. This is just the, one of the first global pandemics since the uh, Spanish flu. Yes. And well, even even we, when they had, we had we've had SARS, we've had Ebola, we had yeah. lessons learned. I mean, the, the video, the famous now famous video of Bill Gates five years ago. Uh, doing a TED talk in Vancouver of all places, um, saying, uh, "Surprise! This is this is what's going to get us. You know, yeah. this is what we need to prepare for." And of course, you know, nobody's listening because, I mean, what the hell does Bill Gates know about anything? <laughs> right. Uh... But so, I mean, there's 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 a double, couple different things to pack out. Is that you know, we we had experts in pandemics saying that. Perfection is the enemy of progress. Oh. You can't you can't wait for perfect information to come in because not acting is going to be worse than making poor decisions. Right. Well, which we're and, well, we're actually see seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got plenty of examples south of the border where we've got states that are still refusing to declare a state of emergency despite the fact that they're clearly in a state of emergency, but it's like, well, our leadership just doesn't want to acknowledge it. So it can't be true. Yeah. And so this is like, that's something that uh, we, we did talk about on the agree or disagree podcast on Saturday was the demand for the government modeling. And I didn't bring it up that day, but the podcast that I did with Kevin Milligan and Stephen Carter on Friday for political R&D, you know, it was, it was sort of briefly touched on. It was, it was just uh, one of the moments when, when Kevin Milligan was kind of going through the things that he had to say. And he said, you know, and the whole reason that the government of Canada cannot give their modeling right this second is because, Uh, New Brunswick sent their information in in a PDF instead of an Excel file, and they had to open it up and enter everything in manually. You know, like, like it was just, uh, 
it was just a simple ish a simple thing but that's you know that's where that's where the government of Canada differs from the government of Alberta or the government of Saskatchewan like we can do our modeling and and again like what are the feds responsible for you know the federal government put out this uh, I, I don't want to call it a vague broad suggestion or recommendation that provinces act now but the thing is that's kind of what they did and each province was allowed therefore to decide what's best for them what does your healthcare situation look like what does you know what's your population what do you need to do to protect the people in your province start doing that now and if you look at like uh, I followed I followed Western Canada really closely over the last three weeks or so but um, you know Ontario had their schools shut down by March 12th um, BC did not BC didn't do it until probably two days after Alberta so that would have been March 17th uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba I believe on the 12th both announced they would be closing the schools they gave people a week they were like, we're going to be closing the schools as of the Friday. So that would have been March 20th, I believe. Oh, it really is. Um, so it would have been March 20th, but they gave people some, you know, a little bit of heads up. This is what we're going to do in Alberta. You know, so I remember, yep, it was March 12th. That was the day that I decided I was going to take the kids out of school. And one of, or sorry, my eldest son said, why don't you just wait for the province to do it? And I said, well, because I don't trust them to to by the time they do it community spread is already in place that's what they're going to wait for sure enough it was two cases that were or six cases i believe that were possibly community spread and they closed schools down on the 15th so again you know like for people who were really paying attention to this we're seeing what's going on uh we know what can happen and but not everybody pays attention to this. There are a lot of people asking questions but, and a but lot of people questioning the information they're getting. But you, you're, you're making the point that um, there are some jurisdictions who were trying to be pragmatic and trying to give enough notice that change was coming. Mm -hmm. But apparently something happened in Alberta where something was enough of a trigger that it was, was community like, spread. we don't we don't care it's sunday afternoon nobody's going to school tomorrow yeah. and so this is what this is what a government is expected to do in a pandemic mm -hmm. we don't we don't want a week's notice that okay everybody go get your walks in because we're like <laughs> just stop these things and stop them tomorrow because we now have information that we didn't have yesterday maybe we didn't even have an hour ago we now have information that says this behavior change needs to occur. I guess the thing that bothers me is that that these are these are uh, people, these are uh, experienced journalists who it seems do not have the background to be able to understand and and now. And maybe that needs to be written out. I'm not sure, but the the people that are demanding this information seem to be demanding it because they because they want answers. They want something that is concrete. And in this particular situation, 
we don't have concrete. Like we have, as everybody has said, we have a, uh, a constantly evolving situation where we are still learning about what this means for Canada and for our individual jurisdictions. We don't have all of the information right now. As that information becomes available, things may change. And this is just apparently life in a pandemic, not that any of us really have a whole lot of experience with that. But that that imperfect perfection or perfect imperfection, uh, it's it's just not available. And well, so and, and this this is the challenge of the media cycle we're in now. We've we have dialed back the number of reporters we have. Um, we've dialed back the number of news sources we've got. You know, really, they're all owned by the same conglomerate now. And and you've got reporters who are trying to beat citizen journalists out there. And yeah. so they they want the information and they need to get it on Twitter because that's how they get a following because then somebody might buy their newspaper or tune into them on whatever 24-hour news network. And so it's it's this mad sprint. It's a never-ending mad sprint of, well, I need the information, I need to get the information out because if the government gets it out before me, then I don't have any news anymore. I'm not reporting on anything other than what they've said. So like there's this mad flurry and so what do you got left other than gotcha politics? Yeah, I know. And it. Um... And right now our opposition <laughs> parties are, are useless. So, well, <laughs> it, maybe useless is a harsh term. Um, their function. But yet it, it feels different. like it. Yeah. Their yeah. function is very different in a pandemic. And so here you've got a, a media conglomerate of reporters and, and columnists and journalists who are are trying to find the new rules for their particular sport right and and, you- and how and and because you, they're trying to apply the old rules to the new game and they're not fitting very well no absolutely not and they uh you know there was i i saw somebody dunking on a sports reporter who had a hot take on uh politics in COVID, maybe anyways uh oh and he got dunked on hard somebody called him a uh sports reporter come political pundit you know with zero experience in talking about this information so it's uh you know media is having a very difficult time i saw that uh oh gosh there was a I believe it's in California, somewhere in California. I almost want to say the Miami Herald, though. But um, there's a paper that has been putting out their COVID information for free. And they basically said, we can't afford to do this anymore. Of course, because everything is COVID right now. So you're literally giving every with everything away for free. But they said, we have to put the paywall back up. We can't afford this. Toronto Star laid off 85 uh, staff members today and because and, no and the national post is being funded by mary browns right like it's like i mean there are there are so many issues right now and and at the one point you could say how many people do you really need to be reporting on covid i mean when that information comes down nobody has a hot take on it or 
well, I guess somebody has somebody has a hot take, but nobody has a um, a new angle really on it, right? It's the same information. Everybody has it. So, how many reporters do you really need? How many journalists do you really need? But at the same time, this just goes to show another area that I mean, people absolutely need the news. They need this information wherever they are getting it from, and we all hope that they're getting it from reliable sources, but wherever they are getting that information from, they need to keep receiving it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, just to stick a finger in the eye of some of the big C conservatives, for sure, you know, if if we could get all of our media pooled and have government funding for that media so that uh, um, they could independently report on what's going on I don't know what kind of corporation that would be. (laughs) Broadcasting all over Canada. I can't think of what letters I would put into something like that. But, you know, if you're talking about maintaining the integrity of the media after, after, you know, is it pseudo state owned? And you know how popular that is with the big C conservatives. (laughs) Well, and that's, and that is, but it is a good point though, because there are the smaller, uh, media or independent media who were relying on either subscriptions or potential advertisers the advertisers have dropped right out yeah um the subscribers depending on what they were paying a month they might be dropping out too so this is you know this is definitely something that uh is is yet another sad state that we are in right now because the media is very important and you know for some of those smaller outlets when you only have four or five people actually doing the work you see what those bigger institutions can go through and they've got 30 to 40 to 150 people well they're able to cover everything yeah and until they all get laid off but that's just it like so you know you know, I'm I'm a small C conservative. I'm not going to stand up and say the government is the solution to everything. But we're we're in a situation where we're going to come out of this pandemic, and you know we've got a ton of small businesses. We got a ton of small community newspapers. We got a ton of a lot of things that just aren't going to be around. Mm-hmm. And so you know, how does you know the CBC answered the question is how does somebody in Nunavut get the media? Or Baffin Island, because they, they there was there was infrastructure spent on ensuring that you know people in the furthest reaches of the country could still get a news source, may mm-hmm. not get multiple news sources, but they got a news source. The Toronto Star is not sending to Baffin Island. No, but no. but we're we're in a stage now where we're not we're not even talking about Baffin Island anymore. We're talking about how is Grand Prairie going to get the news? Are are our favorites down in Medicine Hat going to have a role? Six months from now. Yeah. And, and and if not them, who's who's talking about what's happening locally? Well, because because they still have a civic government, they still have actions going on, they still have a crime rate, they have all the things that the locals are still wanting information on. Well, who who's who's in charge of that now? Oh, that's such a big question mark. I, I mean it's you know, sure. but it, <laughs> yes, yes. We, we were batting around what the big question was going to be. Apparently, <laughs> that was it. So. Well, and 
and this is where you know as we look at all of the industries that are impacted by uh this pandemic it was easy to see some of the ones when your local uh whatchamacallit when your local restaurant closed down your local bar when those things started to close down that was easy to see what's not as easy to see is if you start getting less information coming from one of the media outlets right that may not be as easy to see because people are going to keep sharing the media that they have access to so if there's 85 less uh, journalists less staff members at the toronto star are we going to notice that not if they keep putting out articles i mean we don't notice that there's 85 less people working there yeah so it's it's one of those um we'd start noticing if we lose the Toronto star. So we then we lose all the star stuff out of Alberta and then suddenly post media goes, you know what? Uh, Harold and son are done. Yeah. And that's, and that is the thing too, is that every single media outlet and as much as people just hated the fact that there was a $600 million bailout coming to media and it was all media. That's a thing. Like that wasn't going to the CBC that was going to, other media outlets and a lot of like you said the big c conservatives were really mad about that um well so were i mean i guess so were liberals so were the other a lot of a lot of people were just upset but that gets back to the partisan lines is that liberals were probably upset that the sun was getting money and you know and the conservatives (laughs) were upset that the herald and the star were getting money so (laughs) it's it's not that they were upset that the media got money it's the media they didn't like got money it's getting money yes yes but you know we've we've just well we haven't discussed this but there has been a discussion before about uh the different types of media that are out there and you know so far right now the federal government is the federal government the provincial governments are all saying for the proper information please will you look at our websites right they've been pushing that out for a while and so uh, again you know a little frustrating that they have to do that because there's obviously information out there that is contradicting what they're trying to say like i'm seeing headlines coming up that um there's a disproportionate amount of people within the black community are are dying from this that that's of just those that are tested like there was one headline i saw it's like why would we test the decedents it's like because yeah. you don't know what your numbers are. You're they're only reporting those people who have been positively tested for COVID and died. That's on their death toll. Yeah. But they don't have a they don't have a second number. And we talked about a bit on this weekend because there's a whole you know is China misleading us? And it's like I, I'm less concerned about that. I mean, it's not that it's not a concern, but when when you have a country as large as the one south of us who's who's not even testing. They, they had apparently a spare test to test a tiger at the Bronx Zoo, but they didn't seem to have enough for anybody people. else. People. Like, people. <laughs> there's a problem. Yeah. Like, if you've got that many spare tests around, like, I, I didn't know it was going to transfer to tigers, and at this point, that's the least of my concerns. Right. And, yes. and so, there, you know, there's a news headline with all this, but they're not, there's not an accurate number coming out of the States, and I don't think there will be. And people are now starting to catch on that things like it's hitting the black community more severe. Why? Well, 
testing down in there, down in the States. I know they finally got it waived by one point, but testing was going to cost in the neighborhood $1,300. And <laughs> that's just for testing. Like, yeah. here, hold still. I'm jamming a Q-tip back to the, you know, to your brainstem type thing. That that was going to cost you $1,300. Heaven forbid you were found positive. And needed care. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, th- there were people who couldn't afford the test. And these are the same people that if they can't afford the test, they don't know they're positive. They keep going to work. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. So now you have community transfer going on because because of a system. And so, like, I'm I'm really seeing down in the states things like universal basic income is becoming a very big conversation. I'm seeing universal health care becoming a very big conversation because now suddenly people are understanding why. Right. Because a healthy a healthy community is is healthy for everyone. Everyone yeah. within the community. Yeah, it's not about hey, should we be paying for somebody for breaking their leg because they're out motorbiking? It's um if if this can kill people and in large swaths and even worse when we don't test people, maybe we shouldn't charge them in the first place. Right. And this is you know, again with this uh with the information that's coming out like I've seen a couple of tweets, obviously not as many. I follow more people in Canada than I do in the U.S. But I've seen a few people that have said, you know, even though, like, it's not just that 12 million people lost their jobs and their income. 12 million people that were laid off lost their health insurance. Yep. Right? Like, that's that's the situation that you run into when you have these mass layoffs. These people no longer have health benefits these people no longer are going to go to the doctor so well and and that's and that's those who filed to be laid off how many how many contractors do you have that weren't eligible for um, insurance down there you know unemployment or health uh how many solopreneurs do you have you know you think about realtors and and chiropractors and and like there's a whole whack of people who work for themselves down in the states who are paying for their own health insurance but if nobody is buying houses then realtors have no money to pay for their own health care so now that 12 million how much faster is that growing that's right and actually i do remember seeing something about uh uh doctors down there as well if they're not paying for health insurance they don't actually get free health insurance because they're doctors which you would kind of just go there are some people who should get health insurance and your doctor should be one of them. They aren't one of them. They also don't have health insurance if they can't pay for it. So it's, uh, yeah, it is like, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing that's going on and it. And so much relies on like, I, I guess to a point, I almost understand the media's hounding for information that they can, that they can say, something like it's going to last this long. Um, this is how many, you know, this is, this is the worst case scenario. Um, but they're in the business, they're in the business of selling headlines. And so, and but some people do it because they enjoy it. Well, true. But (laughs) but, I mean, the media is in the business of selling headlines and without a revenue source in advertisers, because nobody's buying advertising anymore. The, the insistence on having having those those headlines becomes even more uh, paramount. 
And, you know, can you get more people to buy the past your firewalls and the like? And at the end of the day, is that serving anybody's interest? Is that you're more focused on uh, a catchy headline than facts and figures? Because really that's, you know, as a reporter, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting the media to report facts and figures. I'm not wanting speculation and, you know, Oh, I, I looked at this one report from China, so therefore I'm now an epi- uh, ep- epidemiologist and uh, pandemic, uh, like it's just- Expert. Expert. You just don't get there from reading one report. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's unfair to, it's unfair to be looking for that information from our health officials who more than anyone are very cognizant and unwilling to give information that may not be true. Yeah. Well, like, I, the medical scientists just won't do that. Medical professionals just will not speculate, especially <laughs> publicly. Yeah. Like no, you, I agree. And, and you see it almost on a daily basis now. It's, you know, it's the Trump and uh, Fauci show down in, uh, like, One's the straight guy and one's the, uh, um, what's the other side of the comedy? Like, it's just, like, it's, it, they're, they're an unfortunate, you know, they're a tragic comedy duo because uh-huh. Trump goes and says something outlandish and then you got to have Dr. Fauci come to the microphone and, and like, the latest video was, you know, he went to actually answer the question and Trump cut him off. It's like, I've answered that 15 times. You already have the answer. That's a terrible question. And it's like, it's not a terrible question because we heard your answer. Now yeah. we would like an informed answer. <laughs> yeah. And so, it's- so I'm, I'm going to kind of circle this back because we had asked this earlier before we popped on is now with all this, with the media, with everything else, with all the, you know, perfect imperfection, when do we get to say people got things wrong? When I- can we ask that question? Are we even ever allowed to ask that question? No, we're allowed to ask it, but uh, it is way too early to do that because we will not be able to, we won't have all of the numbers, we won't have all of the, uh, you know, potential outcomes and being able to analyze what people did at the time until, until we have an end to this, right? That's when we're going to be able to say, you know, okay, uh, you know, BC was two days behind Alberta on on implementing school closures. Um, Ontario and Quebec have, well, Quebec even more so. Quebec has shut everything down. That's where that's where Quebec is right now. Ontario has shut most things down, but not quite everything. Uh, most places in Canada have shut a lot of things down, but again, not quite everything. So. People will be able to look at it in the end and say, okay, well, if we would have followed Quebec's, uh, their their policy planning, if we would have followed Saskatchewan's policy planning, you know, they'll at least be able to have some data behind them. But right now we don't. Right now everybody is working with the data that they have when they have it available. And, you know, absolutely, could things have been better? Well, sure, if we could have literally tested everyone right away, things probably would have been better. Nobody really had that capability except apparently South Korea. And Iceland. 
and Iceland. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but from what when I'm read about it, they literally tested everybody and then as soon as somebody tested positive, they actually put their police force into tracking down who they were around. Okay. Well, and so yeah, like again you come to this this potential situation and can you you know, there's a reason that the entire US is not locked down yet. They are uh, very free, so to speak. They are defenders of their freedoms. They don't appreciate being told what to do. And they have guns. So, you know, you put all of those things together. And so the states are, in some cases, I think they're a little reluctant to, to absolutely close everything down. And the thing is, like I said, the the results coming out of the states right now are not uh, they're not equal. So, you know, is it is it absolute that um, I don't know somewhere in the Midwest that that Kansas is going to come up with an outbreak? Well, we don't know, right? Again, it's just it's something that we have to wait and see. And if that happens, well, then what does the state do? What happens next? Uh, it's you know, it's it's so much of a a sort of wait and see. As many people have said, why didn't we just shut everything down for two weeks so we could have gotten over this faster? Again, because we couldn't. Like well, that's I, that's not the way we work. I also don't think. I think the 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 experts knew shutting everything down for two weeks wasn't going to solve everything. That's right, because if, even if, they're if looking at a minimum of four weeks. Yeah. To ninety if days. If you're infected you need a minimum of two weeks, but it's, we we're stumbling through things and it's literally a two week lag between we see something we've done to what it's doing to the curve. But, but if we were to literally just lock everybody in the homes for two weeks, that, that would be how severe it would have to be. And even China didn't do it for two weeks. I think they were close to eight. So mm -hmm. in Wuhan anyway, so. Oh, speaking of China, did oh, you let's... happen to see? Uh, they have reopened some of their parks. Uh, one park had pictures of people. There are 20,000 people at this park today uh, because they shut it. They're sorry. They, they will not allow access after 20,000 people have entered. Uh, they shut down access at 748 this morning. That's how many people showed up before then. They've opened up all their parks. There's 20,000 people in this park. They've got all these pictures of like just people crammed together walking through this and you're like, oh my God. And they're like, well, you know, we have less cases coming every day. Well, do you think that might have been because of the whole shutdown thing? And I just, oh. Well, I, hey, do, careful, yes, judge, care, I careful Judgey Judgerson <laughs> because we haven't canceled Stampede yet. Oh, but I thought we did. Did we? We Ooh. talked about it Saturday. I, we, I haven't heard anything since then. Okay, it's only been two days. That's right. Uh, Calgary was saying till the end, or sorry, till the end of June, but they technically haven't canceled uh, Stampede yet. JT JT is talking about canceling Canada Day events. Yeah, because he's saying that we're looking at August. Yeah, so so that's how where we're at right now is Canada is only discussing Canada Day events. That's July 1st. Stampede's way past that on July 3rd. Yeah, that's like... And 
and and that's a hundred thousand people crammed into a nice little tight spot so uh, yeah so i mean so, yeah so let's let's not judge the chinese too much until <laughs> such time as we cancel canada day celebrations and and stampede because we because i mean like you go take a look at what happens in an nfl game there's generally eighty thousand people college football will have a hundred thousand people crammed into spaces so i know i know it's uh and i haven't heard and the nfl hasn't canceled their next season yet and the cfl is still talking about you know because you know the great cup isn't until november june but they is it june yet that that starts to uh trend yeah this month oh okay so yeah i i i guess i can't get too judgy just yet but uh but yeah this is this is a situation that again constantly evolving we're learning more we don't know enough about i mean they didn't even know enough about how it spread at first right now they know a little bit more um and we don't know about anything about reinfection rates. That's true. That's true. So there's a lot of things that we don't know right now. And I don't know, I just, I kind of, I kind of want people to lay off just a little bit and understand that the way that science works isn't, hey, we've done a test, we now have absolute results because we, because we really don't. I mean, other than the this person tested positive, but again, that person tested positive and they can recoup at home and they don't really have many uh, symptoms. You know, my sister got chicken pox and was really sick for a week. I got like six chicken pox and wasn't sick at all, but I still had to stay home. So, I mean, it's, it's, we're learning as this goes and the, the, we don't know. It's a different style of thinking and it's people who are going to be able to think outside the box and embrace, embrace the imperfection is what's going to drive us forward. And there's nothing better as an example as in Bill Gates, you know, the guy who called this five years ago, um, recently announced that, uh, his foundation is going to build seven manufacturing plants. Well, they don't, they don't know which cures are going to or which vaccine is going to be it so they're going to assess it for which the top seven are and they're going to simultaneously develop all seven and then when they have an answer on which one's the right one and if they're lucky there's two be ready it's ready and they'll just turf the other five there is somebody who's looking beyond the how do i make money from this and he's like it would take too much time for it to be the seventh so let's build seven at once yeah that's right, actually. and Because I, those manufacturing plants aren't going to be identical. Each one no. is going to be tooled for the delivery mechanism that is going to be it. So it's you're, he's, he's thinking outside the box. He's thinking way ahead. And his comment was, uh, it may cost us billions, but it'll be a drop in the bucket to the trillions that's going to impact the economy. Yes, absolutely. And, and I remember seeing that headline. <laughs> Speaking I read of headlines. That headline, which was uh, Bill Gates is willing to waste billions on finding a vaccine. And that's exactly what it was talking about, was that of those of those seven, you know, we're hoping that at least one will have the right one. But six of them, absolutely, from the from the start, we know they're not all going to be right. Yeah. 
and, and and so that's where the that's where the waste yeah well and that's that's the judgment that we didn't need at this point yeah because because if it was a waste bill gates is a smart guy you don't get to where he is financially <laughs> by being dumb by he's making dumb guy. investments yeah. yeah he's a smart guy he's gotten where he's at and he's got more money than he knows he ever needs to deal with he doesn't see it as a waste so if he isn't wasting his money who are we to say that's a waste <laughs> what's a, what's a, what's a bigger waste at this point to say i don't know i own a large company uh, let's randomly pick amazon um and i'm not treating my employees well and i'm not paying taxes into the u.s system and i'm not i'm not standing up going hey bill you know what why don't you double the size of those plants i'll put i'll toss in another couple billion because i seem to be up on that same threshold for how much money i got in my pocket <laughs> that for me is a waste that's a waste of opportunity. It is. No, absolutely. Because because everybody's now talking about how great um, Bill Gates is and how horrible Jeff Bezos is. <laughs> and those are the memories that we'll take with us into the future. Yep. Yeah, nobody cares what your red convertible in space is doing anymore. So. No, no. Oh, God, no. Um, all right. Well, that... That's that a good, good way to end on a happy note. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is not the most popular guy in America anymore. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, I guess that'll just be an end then. <laughs> Go wash your hands. Stay home. That is the perfect end. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at political RND at Mitchell underscore AB and at AB Mark Taylor. Mm -hmm.